Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the biz come to talk all things fitness, nutrition, overcoming challenges, to helping you on your journey to greatness. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome. Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. We are back. I hope that our community is ready for another fun-filled episode with Coach P and Coach Destiny's here too. And we're going to talk all about women's health. And so, and one of the biggest things that we focus on at Evolve is doing our best to take our athletes to the next level in all aspects of their life. But when it comes to gender-specific issues, it's super important to get real deep down into what might be causing some underlying issues. And we have a lot of athletes who are absolute badasses, but have to deal with a lot of these crazy things when it comes to particular chronic diseases or chronic conditions. And so I felt inspired this week to jump in and see what we could do for what we could offer our, our women who undergo a lot of these issues with cortisol and previous issues with birth control and do a deep dive into the science behind what we can do about this. And so I have Destiny here as my partner in crime, who's going to help me navigate these waters today. Before we even dive in, Destiny, could you just give your own insights into to the types of issues you've had to go through um, throughout your time in training and fitness and what you think some of the biggest factors are to what might be endangering women's health, especially when it comes to challenges with meeting their fitness goals. So a lot of it is going to have to do primarily with stress, whether there's exogenous hormones introduced or not from the birth control. Um, stress plays such a huge role on our mental and our physical. So that signaling uh, can often tell the body that it's not safe to reproduce. So oftentimes those uh, hormones downregulate because the body doesn't feel that it's a safe environment. So then when you add on exogenous hormones on top of it, where the body is not creating its own because that production has been downregulated, it can end up being a snowball effect that you are just um, kind of reaped with hormonal dysfunction. And it can be very hard to come back from, especially um, people who are athletes and into fitness often tend to be type A. So they're very high strung, uh, high into perfectionism, always on the go. And while we may think that that's just who I am, that's just my personality, we might not perceive the stress mentally, but our bodies do. And it's everything is really interrelated. So really trying to piece out how stress and environment and um, the different things that we put in our bodies in our regulation is really important for female hormonal health. I love that you brought up stress because that is a big thing that we're actually going to be diving in. And if we can do a good job of educating the women that we have in our community and beyond about this, they can warn and help govern how they approach working with their offspring when they're at these stages too. Because we've actually finding what we're going to talk about is how stress plays a key role in the development of so many of these genetic disorders that start to occur. And so when we look at women's health from a genetic perspective, we start to see that trauma has has a very, very powerful impact on a woman's endocrine system and overall health. You know, I'm going to pretend guys don't exist for a minute because this ain't about them right now. Um, because we know that tr- that stress, you know, <laughs> it, it over overcomes us all. Um, but we were specifically talking about girls um, in the women population. Stress has a very, very powerful effect on, especially women with genetic components who are at risk for things like endometriosis, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and all other sorts of issues. You combine that with stress when a woman is going through puberty and through her younger years, it makes it even worse. And so what we're going to talk about is um, a lot of the information we're going to discuss today, for those of you who you know like to cite our sources, um, the biggest things are coming from Sarah Gottfried, who's the author of Women, Hormones, and Health. 
She also has her own book as well. That's all about how to reclaim your hormonal health. Um, and so that would be a great resource for you all to dive into and where we're getting a lot of the science that we're going to be talking to today. And she's really, really, she, she was just on the Huberman Lab podcast. And so I was able to listen to that too, to, to help prepare for this episode. And she just talks about so many great things about how, you know, one of the biggest issues she's, that she sees is that women are actually waiting too long before they actually start to get themselves checked out. You know, when it comes to breast health, when it comes to the, the uh, certain things that start to develop, especially because children are, especially girls are starting to take these birth control or contraceptives so early on in their development that it's having an even more stringent impact on their overall menstrual cycle. And that tends to cause a lot of issues. And so if Destiny, dive into, you know, your experience as a young girl with when it comes to oral contraceptives and stress, how young were you? when you started to engage in taking those things or did you at all? And how did stress play a role when you were a kid? So I've got a pretty extensive history on stress versus um, contraceptives. I did start on oral contraceptives when I was young. Um, I had some acne that the doctor suggested birth control to clear up. So when I was about 15, I got on oral contraceptive for the first time. Um, personally, I'm not responsible enough to take a pill every single day at the exact same time. My schedule varies a lot. And especially as a teenager, you know, um, that consistency just isn't really there. That's something that kind of comes with age that level of responsibility. So I did eventually switch to the Mirena. Um, I have had three IUDs in my life, uh, two Mirenas, and I'm currently on the Paragard, which is the copper IUD. Um, this is by far the best form of birth control I've been on so far, but when I was on my Mirena, the way that it works is by uh, over the five-year lifespan, uh, it releases a very slow um, drip of progestin, which is a synthetic form of progesterone. And what that does, because progesterone is um, pro-gestation uh, and the hormone that helps your body know that it's pregnant, by suppressing your natural production, it makes your body think that it's pregnant so that you don't ovulate. Uh, by not ovulating, I personally did not have a period for about seven years. And wow. when you grow up, you're not really educated. Yeah. Yeah. You're not really educated on the impacts of that. You think, oh my gosh, I don't have a cycle. This is amazing. I don't have to deal with that every month. And you're not informed of the long-term downstream impacts of that and how difficult it can truly be to get your cycle back. And how much as a woman, you need that monthly fluctuation and that flux yeah. of hormones. So when I competed for the first time, um, many competitors often lose their cycles because they get to very low levels of body fat. It is a huge stressor on your body and your mental. So basically your body says, I'm not safe enough to reproduce. I'm going to suppress these um, sex hormones and also to conserve energy because uh, having a menstrual cycle is metabolically taxing to the body. It takes calories, it takes uh, energy. So the body essentially gets rid of that for the time being until it feels that it's in a good state of homeostasis. So after my first uh, bodybuilding show, not having a period for seven years as it was and getting to a level of body fat that I would have lost my cycle anyway, I was just in the gutter hormonally. Um, I got my labs run. I had essentially no progesterone. My estrogen was in the 300s. My cortisol was through the roof and I was not functioning well. I was 27 years old and essentially premenopausal. I was having night sweats, anxiety, um, mood swings. Uh, my hair was falling out. All of these different things that are signs of that estrogen dominance when your progesterone to estrogen ratio is so off. And because I was on the birth control, 
and not able to get my cycle back after competing, it was just a real waterfall of different issues until I did eventually come off um, all birth control for a year. I had to take my training down a notch. I had to de-stress my life as much as possible to create that friendly environment for my hormones to balance themselves again. Um, it took hundreds of dollars of supplementation a month, uh, lots of mindfulness practices, and a real big adjustment to my life to be able to have that regain of function. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you were able to regain function because something that we're going to talk about is oftentimes when women were on oral contraceptives for so long, they find that certain aspects of their sexual hormones, particularly sexual hormone binding globulin, will actually never go back to normal. And if that happens, then it becomes very, very difficult for other endocrine hormones such as testosterone or estrogen to be back to normal as well. And so it becomes very, very difficult. And you actually said all the great tools that you used are things that we're actually going to recommend today as far as things that women need to do when they get to around your age if they want to fight this at all possible. And so your experience is also very unique going through bodybuilding and everything else. But for our ladies who have not been through that experience as well, but have just gone through oral contraception and nonstop stress, these are going to be very vital to you as well. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story, Destiny, because I know there's going to be so many women out there who are going to resonate with you as far as things that they are also going through with the unstable emotions and the inability to feel normal when nothing's wrong. It's just due to the use of these oral contraceptives for so many years, it just flips the equation in all these crazy directions um, and to where it's very, very difficult once you come off of them, especially for women who want to have families later on in life um, and who come off the pill and say, okay, I'm ready when they found their person, but their bodies aren't ready. And they, it's sometimes it's very, very difficult to get back mm -hmm. to normal. And so the main part we're going to talk about is, you know, where this all begins when someone is young and why it becomes such an issue is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, gland. So the HPA, your HPA axis, um, which I'm actually very, very interested in because this has a lot of applications to guys as well. And this has everything to do with stress. <laughs> and, if, and the problem with being young is your HPA axis is still mature. Um, through your teenage years and probably doesn't mature until later on into your early 20s. And as a result of that, if your cortisol is out of control and you're super stressed at those times, either from physiological issues where you're taking things like oral contraceptives, but also your experiences and emotional traumas that you go through, that, is, that establishes a complex later on in life that makes it even more difficult to overcome when it comes to cortisol. And so something that Sarah Gottfried actually recommends, you know, the younger you are, we, we need to start monitoring cortisol as young as 12, <laughs> which is absolutely crazy. Um, but oh also goodness. has, but it has a lot of implications because not only is cortisol super, it related to stress and everything that we do to the body trauma and emotionally, but that's also a result of how we grow up, our circadian rhythms uh, and, and how our body engages in nutrient metabolism, waking up, cognitive function, absolutely everything. And something we're also going to touch on is constipation, which I know that I've experienced, not, not personally, but, but with a lot of our athletes oftentimes when it comes to uh, just regular digestive systems. And so we, we need to start talking about 
doing things for women at younger ages to catch these things early, especially when it comes to the contraceptives. And I'm glad that you brought up the copper IUDs. You know, I actually had to dive in and see what the hell an IUD was <laughs> because I wasn't familiar as far as what that was besides just taking oral contraceptives. No um, personal experience there. No personal experience. I, I don't have any experience putting a, uh, a copper tool <laughs> up my yin yang um, to figure out if that's going to help me not have any kids. Um, but it tends to have, like you were, you were talking about, it does tend to be the one that is most uh, tolerated by most girls at that time. Um, and so I guess the biggest things that we need to focus on is like, okay, well, what do we do? And what are, what are some issues that are causing a lot of these things for girls to have to engage in oral contraceptive use at such a young age? And like you and I have discussed, and I've discussed this with my significant other, I've discussed this with my sisters, you know, oftentimes people take these types of things due to, you know, what doctors say, oh, this is going to get rid of your acne, or this is going to help control the pain that you get during your menstrual cycle. Um, but it's, why don't we look at the other factors that's going on? Like, look at what the, the, the uh, most important things we're dealing with as a country right now and as a society, increased processed food intake that's highly inflammatory. All right. We have a lot of these uh, sedentary practices that's also has a negative impact on your metabolism. And we know that there are significant connections between metabolic health and women's specific health to glucose metabolism. So we actually do find a connection between PCOS, endometriosis, and how glucose is absorbed in the body. And so if you have metabolic-related issues, that also has a negative impact on the ability to develop a lot of these genetic disorders that occur in women. And so we have to look at, all right, maybe it's just our habits as a society that have changed over so many years that are causing this need use of individuals taking these oral contraceptives and other things, all encompassing higher cortisol levels and stress and young women and the pressure that's put upon them at such a young age to fit in, to grow up, to have friends and all the other types of stresses that we go through as children, especially little girls. It's the perfect storm for giving a big middle finger to optimal women health. What, what, uh, what, what's your take on those types of things when you were a kid and what you went through? Um, I was very lucky when I was growing up. I never really had cycle irregularities or issues. Um, but as I got older into more my early 20s, I did find um, as my stress compounded, uh, college, working, social life, all of that, that um, I was just out of a regular rhythm, uh, especially not having the menstrual cycle. Um, my circadian was a little bit off through stress. Um, my gut dysbiosis was a little bit more regular, especially when you're in college, you're not making the best food choices. Um, mm -hmm. You might gain that freshman 15. So that metabolic impact um, comes into play as well. And when you're highly stressed and you're constantly in a state of fight or flight, your insulin sensitivity is reduced. So yeah. all of those, that blood glucose is still circulating in your body and also stores its fat because uh, when you're in that fight or flight, your body thinks, I need to save this in case I need energy for flight. So it's not, um, your nutrients aren't partitioned well and you're not absorbing everything. So it just leads to um, a different list, a, a big list of different uh, health issues that you mentioned, metabolic, um, hormonal, thyroid, they're all interrelated. And for our and for our poor ladies who later on in life deal with these things such as PCOS and endometriosis, which we're eventually going to dive into, it makes matters worse when they're older um, with these metabolic related issues because of what potentially could have happened when they were younger. And so it becomes even more important to understand what 
what we need to do as far as a educating our younger individuals, what, how to optimize their health to help prevent or at least help mitigate a lot of the stresses that come later on in life on these issues. And the first thing I want to talk about is just diet. Um, because when it comes to our metabolism and proper hormone production in the body, a lot of it comes down to simply micronutrient metabolism. And if we're not getting the right micronutrients from our diets, it's going to make it very, very difficult to be able to sustain a healthy endocrine system, um, especially when it comes to healthy fat intake and the balance between omega-3s and omega-6s. And this is a really big problem in our current dietary culture because if you go into the grocery store and you buy any average processed foods, it's going to have a higher amount of omega-6s and 9s in relation to omega-3s. And that's actually what causes the inflammation because we know that our body needs all three. We need both omega-3s sixes and nines. But the problem comes down to is that we need almost double the amount of omega threes, if not more in ratio to omega sixes and nines. And when that ratio is off, that's what contributes to inflammatory factors increase in the blood. And so when you look at all these processed foods that we utilize with things like corn oil and soybean oil and all these other preservatives that they put in processed foods, this is what's causing a, a big problem with its direction into increasing inflammatory markers. Also taking into fact that most of these processed foods are also devoid of micronutrient value. So all of our healthy VB vitamins, all the healthy micronutrients that we need to sustain not only a, a healthy endocrine profile, but a healthy microbiome are also not getting absorbed in the body because kids are not eating enough vegetables. We're not eating enough fruits. You know, we're not hitting the my plate, you know, government things that we need on that plate. Um, and as a result are resulting in a lot of these deficiencies that result in problems later on in life. I mean, I remember as a kid, I don't know about you, Destiny, but I absolutely didn't want to touch a damn vegetable. And now it's all I want to eat. <laughs> because, because I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be unhealthy. Healthy. I don't want to have cancer. I don't want to die. So it's like, I just I want, to, I want to eat healthy. I want to eat healthy things. Like, did you have that kind of relationship with food growing up? Like, I know I had an Italian father who was like, you better eat your goddamn veggies. Or you're not getting up. <laughs> um, but, but but it's like it, it flips as you get older. But the problem is now is we have so many adults that don't eat vegetables, and that's becoming a really really bad thing. Mm -hmm. What kind of experiences have you had with yourself and or working with clients when it comes to consuming whole foods on the regular? So personally, um, some of my friends that I've had since high school credit me as being the first person that ever introduced them to healthy eating. It's always kind of been in my wheelhouse and something that I've been drawn to. So I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but hashtag can't relate. Um, with my clients, though, uh, with my clients, though, um, sometimes, especially when someone comes to me as a beginner, it's even a process of educating them on what a processed food is because we we hear shop around the outside of the grocery store. A lot of people get that. They know that cereal is a processed food, but if they're looking at something like an English muffin or a yogurt or these different things that oftentimes are marketed to us as uh, being healthy, they don't understand that there are so many different refinement processes and chemicals that these items go through Um that are just hidden and you look at the ingredient list and it's just this long list of things for something you would think would only have a handful of ingredients. So really just kind of extending that education on what really is a process versus a whole food um, has been really critical to helping that understanding, um, not only for weight loss, but general health. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it's like, it's one of the biggest things I have the most struggle 
teaching others, but as well, it's always been my biggest focus because when I talk to people about improving over their health, you know, not, not to segue away from women's health, but just general health right now is just teaching people how to consume whole foods and making that the ultimate priority. You know, I guess I, I am lucky from the fact that, you know, my parents, you know, we, we ate generally healthy. It was less of a options problem and more of a just overconsumption problem <laughs> that that was from my family. But mm. when it comes to a lot of the families, Finish your I've plate, worked, you have to clear it. Exactly. And so, but a lot of the biggest problems that I find in some of the populations that I work with is that they weren't brought up that way. Um, or it's just for, it's the ease of, uh, access to food and how there's not a lot of struggles. Just go to the store and pick something right off the shelf. When if, if you're eating the processed version of something that should be whole foods, then it's going to be very, very difficult to reach the nutrition levels that you need. And so I want to segue a little bit now because when it comes to a lot of these issues that women deal with, um, and men, you know, because it, it should be, applied to them too is the health of their microbiome and it's it's receiving so much attention nowadays especially because of the fact that oral contraceptives have on the microbiome the use of antibiotics um, a lot of different things a lot of grains and other a lot of other types of foods now I, i'm i'm back and forth with the whole grains thing because there are people who are sensitive to them but then there are there are some who are eat bread and are completely fine so um so i'm kind of in the middle when it comes to that 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 argument but there are a lot of things that we consume on the regular and the average American diet that just destroys the microbiome. And when the microbiome is not at its healthiest, it makes it causes digestive issues, causes weight loss related issues, insulin resistance uh, across the entire board. And so some of the biggest things that we can do to help people with this thing is just simply coming down and eating more vegetables. That's where you should start first. All right. Eat more vegetables, get a more healthy micronutrient value coming in, and then worry about all the other supplements. Cause that's something I have a problem with, uh, especially when it comes to just registered dietitians sometimes. Now, I love RDs. I love them to death. Um, and there are some supplements out there that, that, yes, are absorbed 10 times better when it's in supplemental form, especially when that's deficient. Great. Okay. Um, but one of my biggest things that I tell people a lot is, you know, I, I like that we have the supplement that we can use to help somebody, but let's also tackle the fact that they should be eating the whole food version too. Okay. Because that's honestly where the problem probably came from in the first place is that they weren't eating enough of the whole food option. And so in addition to saying, yes, we should supplement with a lot of these different micronutrients, which I'm completely down for. Let's also engage in teaching people how to have the whole food options as well. Um, and so having that complete five different colors of vegetables per day, you know, re rotating each and out. I, I got into the habit of, you know, <laughs> making smoothies uh, when I wasn't trying to cut. And so, and I would create smoothies with at least four or five different vegetables all the time and put things in there like maca root and flaxseed to get more omega-3s. And that was the best damn thing. I, I literally felt like it was like a, an electrical jolt of energy. Like I was getting vitamins that I hadn't had in a while. I'm like, this is what people need to start doing. Um, and as long as you're not getting rid of the fiber in the drink, because that's what I have a problem with juicers, never juice, always blend um, so that you get a lot of the fibrous aspects of vegetables as well. Juicing takes that away. Um, and you can actually uh, digest some of the micronutrients much better in that way because you're pre-breaking it down, similar to the way the salivary amylase does in, in your mouth when you're consuming carbohydrates. Um, and so I definitely recommend that for sure. Um, and then I want to know, because then people talk about this too, well, just to restore your microbiome, why don't you take some prebiotics and probiotics? And it's like, hmm, got a problem with this too. What is your experience with taking probiotics and prebiotic supplements? 
I personally don't have much. Um, gut health overall has been uh, pretty regular for me throughout my life. But I think the thing with probiotics and prebiotics is that if you do have GI issues and you haven't pinpointed exactly what that issue is, taking pre and probiotics, you might already have an overgrowth of some sort of bacteria. Right. And you can exaggerate the issue. So 100%. I always like to say test, don't guess. Exactly. And that's honestly something that Sarah Gottfried talks about too, is get tested to see which ones you may need or which ones you you potentially should stay away from. And one of the biggest things that she said too, that was really eye illuminating, um, is that there is some science out there that shows that taking pre and probiotics is absolutely great. However, when you actually look into the science and this is my one big thing issue with science myself being someone who's in academia is oftentimes you can really misconstrue evidence. And what she's actually, what she actually talks about is how a lot of the science in there is actually very underwhelming with the impact of taking a prebiotic or probiotic supplement. And half the time you're nowhere near getting the amount that you would need from that supplement to actually have a substantial effect. So that's why when I, when I talk to individuals now, when it comes to them saying, well, I think I have gut related issues and what should I do? I'm like, well, start consuming natural sources of prebiotics for fermented foods. And as soon as I say the word fermented, they're like, oh, I don't want to do that because, you know, the most common forms of fermented foods are things like uh, kimchi, sauerkraut, you know, drinking the kombucha drinks. And kombucha is not bad. The problem with kombucha, though, is it's expensive as hell if, you, if you're trying to do that on the regular every day. And if you don't actually have the, the vital aspect of it, the name of it is leaving me right now. But there's a, a vital aspect of kombucha that if you don't have I don't know if it's called the mother or something. No, that's an apple cider vinegar. I'm sorry. That's different. Uh, not really. It's still kind of the same thing. Um, but if you don't have that vital aspect of it, that fermentation doesn't occur and you don't actually have that positive bacteria um, that's sitting in that juice. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, but consuming those types of things are some of the best ways. I actually told people start eating more onions by chopping up onions and putting that more into your food. You actually get a healthy dose of, pre- of prebiotics in your food. Um, and then being careful not to use too many antibiotics when you're you're sick. Use it when you absolutely have to, but taking antibiotics also crushes your microbiome. And then I'm going to bring up one more thing that has to do with your microbiome that people are going to get mad at me too. Stop drinking. Stop drinking alcohol because alcohol is just, and you know, I, it's such a double-edged sword, this conversation. Because everyone wants to have that balance of saying, well, I don't want to give up drinking, you know, altogether. I don't have a problem with it. And that might be. Um, and I'm, I'm in that camp too. It's like, I love an old fashioned or a glass of wine with Kelly or, you know, having, having an IPA or a beer with the guys, you know, my best friend and I, we have our favorite Belgian beer, um, that we found <laughs> where he lives now in Leesburg, Virginia. And it's out of control. It's awesome. It, it literally puts you on your ass. You only need two and you're, it's game over. It's game over, Barry. Um, <laughs> But if there's not one aspect of your health that I'm starting to find that alcohol doesn't negatively impact, especially the microbiome, because alcohol destroys healthy bacteria. Um, and so it's uh, that's why they put rubbing alcohol on the skin to kill the germs. It literally kills everything. Um, and so that's what alcohol does as well. So if you're consuming alcohol on the regular and you're the type of individual that's trying to improve your health, especially as we talk more about women's health and you got to get alcohol out of the system, especially if you're in a stressed out state, because, you know, Destiny, you tell me, when is it that people start drinking alcohol the most, especially if they're individuals who think they have a healthy relationship with alcohol? When they need to relax. Exactly. When they need to relax, when they need to stress. And I work with individuals who that's what they say that the problem is, is whenever they feel stressed out, you know, or get worked up, what's the first thing they do? Crack open a beer, pour a cocktail. You know, have a drink. drink. It's like, 
but that's just making the stress even worse. Okay. And having an even more of a negative impact on things like cortisol, which we need to fight to control so well, especially when it comes to women's health. And so I want to, I want to kind of segue a, a different direction now just to, you know, so I don't piss off my, my, <laughs> my wine drinkers out there. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about now another step away from the microbiome is now a, a the digestive system. And when I've had, I've worked with a lot of people with digestive issues and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, especially in the world of bodybuilding and competing and the stress that that puts on the body. And so, and the first thing that I find, at least in my experience is people just not eating enough whole food, you know, whole food is just the, of not doing that. You don't get enough fiber that causes constipation as well. But Stress is also huge when it comes to constipation. What is your experience with that and or working with others who've had this issue before? Uh, stress is definitely a big one. Um, it's an inflammatory overall and different processes when you are stressed out kind of take priority over the digestive tract. So um, you'll notice that as you get more stressed out, your stools can either uh, stop altogether, you'll become constipated or, um, they'll become, uh, for lack of a better term, you kind of pee out your butt <laughs> because they just become so <laughs> loose and so watery. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I went there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like, so loose and so watery. And, um, that's a big sign that you are, uh, dysregulated. And it's funny that women, um, not funny, but Women um, experience gut digestive issues much more than men because they are uh, much more likely to hold on to that stress and be a little more um, uh, high strung and that impacts the gut microbiome and also your digestive tract and your ability to nutrient partition and process things and have that regular um uh, bowel movement. So that's why you'll often see women who have uh, way more di- uh, GI issues than men because of their nature to hold on to that stress longer. I, I 100% agree with you. And especially with just this day and age of everything that we're going through, especially working with, with women a lot in times, especially at Evolve, you know, we have a lot of hardworking women. They are, they are the bunch of awesome women I've ever worked with in my life as far as being badasses, owning their own businesses, being super moms and, you know, helping and working in the household and all these other things that all the women in our population do here at Evolve. Um, stress is all super high. <laughs> and, and from what we know with the definition of constipation, uh, Dr. Gottfried said it really, really well in her paper um, that she published in physical medicine and functional medicine journal is constipation is a feeling of not having a bowel movement every single morning and a feeling of complete evacuation. It can be caused by the imbalance between the parasympathetic nervous system at rest and digest and poop versus the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, freeze, or spawn. And so, and that makes absolute complete sense when you're stressed out. If you're in a constant fight or flight, you're not going to poop at all. Because your body is not focusing on that process right now. It's the same thing um, when I talk to individuals about executive functioning and the reason why you can't build better habits. When you are stressed out in sympathetic flight or flight mode, your brain cannot access the prefrontal cortex to be able to access executive functioning. And so it's just further illustrating the fact that when you are in this fight or flight too often, it negates and negatively impacts so many other vital systems of your body. And so when it comes to things like constipation, digestive-related issues, 
is it becomes even more important for us to start communicating to others, hey, we really need to be on top of stress management. Not only do we need to eat healthy food, but you need to get your stress in check. And I think I think a big problem, Destiny, is so many people, not, not just women, men too, underestimate the impact that stress has on their body. Like full, full send there. Like they just don't think, oh, stress is just a thing. I can overcome this and fight through this. No big deal. No, you F-U-C-K-I-N-G can't. All right. You have to manage it or your health is going to go out the window, Paul. All right. You got to make sure you get on that shit as far as mindfulness, stress, stress management, getting proper sleep. Oh, and I can't wait to talk about proper sleep because that has an awesome impact on this as well. Um, and so as far as what we see in the literature as the biggest, biggest tools to help overcome this is get a hold of your stress. You must reduce stress right? either through mindfulness, meditation, or just acts of stillness. Because you tell someone to go meditate, they're like, I don't want to do that frou-frou bullshit. It's like, okay, well, we need to at least find something for you <laughs> that's going to get you out of a sympathetic state and more into a balance. And I don't know about you, Destiny. I think meditation is cool. But I actually start, I've started to tell people, don't meditate. Just do this cool little thing with you lying down and doing a body scan. No big deal. Um, it's called Yoga Nidra. I'm actually fascinated with Yoga Nidra. And I got Dr. Andrew Huberman to thank for that too. Um, because Yoga Nidra has this very similar benefits as does meditation. It's just another form of stillness. And so when you find that stillness and you literally, you know, they talk about this third eye thing. I don't know if you're, if you've ever heard of that with the spiritual stuff, um, with the actual activating the pineal gland yeah. and all this. Um, but it's, it's not so much that it's you're opening the third eye. It's the fact that you're focusing so much. You're focusing in this one spot to where you're putting your thoughts in a place where, okay, you're no longer listening to everything else that's going on and you could just focus to thought. All right. And that's why it's so difficult because of everything flying around in your mind. But the more that you can strengthen that focus, that's where you start to open up a lot of the clarity and can reduce stress. That's how, you know, I, I've talked to Rania about this and I saw you came to Rania's talk, which is awesome. I absolutely love Rania to death. She's, she's helped me with so many things and, you know, giving me perspective. And, you know, one of the biggest things that she talks about with, you know, why doing things with better habit formation is so powerful is when you're feeling that stress in the moment, just being able to, the way that meditation, everything works is just gives you more power to separate yourself from the emotion. And the better that you get from that, the more that you can overcome a lot of the stress and anxiety. That's why breath and breath work and meditation is so powerful. And what, and now we'll get to this too. I'm going to do a fitness episode about this, but it also relates to your ability to recover from fitness. If, if you're not getting yourself into a parasympathetic state after you do a workout, and that's what I, I have a lot of women who actually come to me and say, coach, I'm not hungry after my workout. I, I can't get a post-workout meal in. I'm like, well, duh, because you just lifted really, really heavy. And if you did some really hard, badass workout where you did high intensity, you pushed your ass on glute, hip thrust, squats, deadlifts, and all these other things, you just created a really super sharp, sympathetic moment. All right. You were super fight or flight. And as a result, if you don't spend at least three to five minutes doing breath work or chilling out at the end of your workout. This is why cool downs are so important. You actually see an even larger lapse of adrenaline <sighs> crash, right? Because you had such a significant rise in adrenaline, if you don't bring your nervous system back to normal, you crash two or three, uh, two or three, uh, hours later. And so, and because you're still in that sympathetic state, you're not going to be hungry for a little bit after you work out. And so, and Dr. Andy Galpin, a, a really popular exercise physiologist, um, who is really, really high up in the exercise world when it comes to fitness and strength training. And he actually will, he's talked about this before where if you don't 
do this. If you don't take these three to five minutes after your workout, getting your nervous system back to normal, it'll affect your workout the next day because you're not, you're not priming that body for proper recovery. It's not going to be in its most optimal state to recover in regards to resetting the nervous system, uh, allowing you to recover the neuronal uh, contractility homeostasis with glucose metabolism and nutrient transport. And it becomes that much more difficult to recover properly and therefore feel at your best the next day. And so it, it makes so much sense for how a lot of these other things are happening, especially in these, our fitness population who is so, you know, at, trying to get at it, want to lose weight, want to work out. But if they're, and they, they're like, I'm doing everything right, coach. Why can't I lose weight? Why isn't everything happening? I'm still tight. I'm still stressed. It's like, because you're not doing all the pieces of the puzzle and stress is such an important piece of that puzzle. Um, and so, and what I've learned from uh, Taylor Hamlet, who we've had on the podcast before, she's a good friend of mine from Arizona. Um, she's huge into breath work. And the way that she tries to talk to people about how to get more into breath work is you have to realize it only takes five to 10 minutes a day and it gets better the more and more you do it. All right. You start to notice the effects compounding on itself as you go through time. And so you have to communicate that to clients well, saying you're not going to feel this night and day difference right then and there. You may because breathing just gets you back to normal. <laughs> um, but the more and more you just commit to doing it on a daily basis, it starts to become more and more powerful and has a much better impact on the body. What has been your experience with meditation and how have you used it before? Um, I am delinquent in my meditation practices. <laughs> I have to be honest. That is absolutely something that I would benefit from that I do not regularly partake in. So I am just as guilty as some of our clients in sometimes not prioritizing, um, my relaxation practices. Um, something I personally really enjoy, um, while not technically meditation is outdoor walks without my phone. Um, and then hot baths. So that's kind of how I like to get my recovery and my uh, de-stressing going. Cause I think kind of touching on the fitness aspect that you mentioned, a lot of people don't realize they think you grow in the gym. You don't grow in the gym. You grow when you rest. So you have to be in that rest and digest that parasympathetic state for all of those metabolic um, processes to take place to allow the facilitation of muscle growth. Otherwise, you're just digging yourself into a deeper hole. So while I might not um, practice stillness as much, which is something that I should, uh, there's no excuse for that. Um, I do prioritize my recovery, particularly my sleep. I am extremely um, regimented about my sleep. I wear my aura ring every night. I check out my sleep stats and um, really tracking those habits. And okay, did I have caffeine too late today? Was I overly stressed today? And correlating them to my different sleep scores and my cycles allows me to plan ahead and better structure uh, that downtime, cutting back earlier throughout the day so that I'm not still wired but tired when I go to bed and just making sure that I'm prioritizing that recovery. Awesome. I love that. And I, I love how you, you kind of put it into your own way to get that stillness because yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's hard to marry the task of sitting there and finding a mantra and going, Oh, okay. This just doesn't work for a lot of people. <laughs> um, but I love how you illustrated your use of the hot baths because not only does it have sleeping benefits, which we could talk about forever, um, but it's just your own form of stillness that can help you relax. And so that's honestly what I've tried to communicate to others. Well, just find some sort of stillness that can calm you down and bring you to your centered place. Cause that in itself is a very powerful thing. Uh, and so we're, we're going to come back to meditation at the end um, as one of the tools that, uh, to do our summary um, for tools for individuals of what they can use to over, overcome these issues. Um, but getting really back into now specific conditions related to women's health. I want to talk about peacock. 
class. Uh, and we get a lot of questions about uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome a lot in Evolve. Um, I know a lot of our Evolve coaches have clients and athletes with this issue. Um, so I think it's important to first define what it is that is causes this particular issue. And yes, it's highly genetic. So there is a high genetic component here. Um, but what we also see is that it can potentially be caused by a couple things. So I'm going to start with just the main thing that it, that's causing it. And then this particular thing, a part of our society uh, and our current culture with food, that also could be a major contributing factor. And so we see PCOS is usually caused by an excess of androgen in the body that leads to irregular ovary cycles and they need to take androgen blocker. So if there's a, if there's a, imbalance of testosterone or sometimes even having low testosterone. Um, you can start to see issues in women. And I, I know a lot of women are afraid of testosterone. No, don't be afraid of testosterone. Women need testosterone too um, to have healthy balance of the endocrine systems. Um, it's just as important. Um, and so, but the biggest issues we're starting to see is what actually might be leading to the cause is high insulin levels might actually be causing PCOS in women as well. And this can be highly attributed to the American diet um, and a lot of the issues that we're having with lack of whole food consumption and increased level of processed foods. And so finding that individuals with PCOS have actually really high issues with insulin sensitivity, not so much insulin resistance, but just insulin sensitivity in general. Um, and so, and if we just look at common behaviors of what a lot of us go through and why this might be happening in more and more women is as, as we start to age and get older through adolescence, we're not sleeping nearly as well. All right. What we know from adolescence and how your sleep phases change is you go from being a baby and being hyper regular to being waking up super early and going to bed super early. Great. All right. And that's nearly identical to the same cycle as what older adults go through too. But as we go through adolescence, it starts to become more later. It starts to advance to where older kids start to wake up a little bit later and they stay up super, super late. And if you combine this with recent events, like, COVID or individuals in college and so on and so forth, we're more likely to stay up late past the times that we should having completely dysregulated circadian rhythm systems because of the lack of going outside, higher reliance on technology, staying up late, being on electronic devices and or, you know, studying, doing work, whatever it might be. If our circadian rhythms are not in alignment, that also affects our insulin sensitivity and also affects our nutrient metabolism. This could be another contributing factor, not only the lack of sleep, but the circadian dysregulation that's also potentially leading to these issues and increased prevalence such as with PCOS. And so when it comes to, you know, working with people that have these particular issues, uh, it's super important, A, to get everything measured, check insulin sensitivity issues, check for insulin resistance. We have Mr. John Dobbs on our staff at Evolve, and he is just an amazing guy at breaking all that down. Um, so he definitely, he, he's definitely the expert there. Um, but it's important to be measuring these things often to see if you have insulin sensitivity issues that could be relating to a lot of the issues that you go for, especially if you're someone who has PCOS. And so, and what I found fascinating um, as far as going through Dr. Godfrey's review of what actually might be a good way to tackle this issue is time restricted eating. And I absolutely love that approach because I'm obsessed with circadian rhythm science and time restricted eating and intermittent fasting and the potential benefits that it could have. Um, and so that's something that we should definitely dive into a little bit later as something that could be something to help regulate insulin sensitivity in individuals. Because what we do see in the time-restricted eating science is when you regulate those three very important things that you do in the human body, getting light, 
the time that you exercise and the time that you eat can be really, really important anchors for your body to normalize cognitive function, to normalize body temperature and hormonal sinus rhythms, for normalizing cortisol and even normalizing insulin sensitivity. And we see improved insulin sensitivity with individuals who do time-restricted eating protocols. So this could be a potential solution that we could help individuals who have these issues use just to help at least get their digestion and other issues in place. Um, now, I'm not an expert in PCOS um, or endometriosis, um, but these are definitely things that could potentially work and help. And so we'll have to have a, a completely dedicated episode to just those specific conditions. But I'd like to move on now past that um, and talk about, let's start talking about cortisol, um, because cortisol is probably the biggest focus here because we've talked about nothing but stress. <laughs> um, and one of the biggest things I'm going to ask Miss Destiny is, Destiny, how many hours of sleep do you get per night? And is it high quality sleep? It actually is pretty high quality. I'm generally around seven to eight and a half hours. So like I said, I'm pretty good about my sleep hygiene. Um, I do have the luxury of working from home uh, with a relatively flexible schedule. So um, I know a lot of people might not have that opportunity to kind of catch up on their sleep. If um, maybe they happen to go to bed a little bit later, they're restricted to certain schedules that they have to adhere to, but I do have the luxury of um, that additional flexibility in my life. So I do make sure um, that I am getting that seven to eight hours every night. I am really happy to hear that. And the reason why I bring that up, because you're probably like, why did he ask me that when he just said we're about to talk about cortisol? Is he a nutcase? Like, because <laughs> like, it has everything to do with cortisol. And so just, just to you know, tell people of why it is that I've asked this question, cortisol is, you know, let me, let me just air it out right now. It is not the end all be all root of all evil. All right. You have to have a healthy relationship with this hormone because this hormone is vital to human health. And so, and when it's in check, you want to make sure that it is not super high. It's when cortisol is high, that that is the issue. Um, and so when it comes to cortisol, if your sleep and circadian rhythms are not where they need to be optimally, this has the most potent impact on your cortisol levels. And especially if you self-medicate that issue with stimulants <laughs> uh, and, and excessive forms of cardiovascular exercise we're going to talk about, this all makes cortisol worse, especially if you're also not considering all the other stressors of life. And so, you know, I talk about this just with basic exercise science and fitness people who I'm teaching in class and teaching fitness programming, not only do you have to look at the volume of your workouts when you're considering stress, but you also have to look at what else is going on in their lives. Because if someone has a full-time job, is in school, is a parent, has relationship issues, has all these other things going on that also adds to that stress and also impacts cortisol. And so, and if sleep, that foundational health marker is not optimized, that's going to have an even more negative impact on your ability to have normal cortisol levels, especially if the first thing you do every morning is wake up and pound two things of Nespresso that I just saw you <laughs> drink, which was, looks absolutely delicious and I really want one. Um, but when it comes to those things, we have to be very... My very second careful. one of the day is decaf. I know, I know. I was being funny. <laughs> but, and so... <laughs> Uh, before I, before I get into techniques as far as what we can do to help mitigate the, uh, the impact of high cortisol, we need to talk about what causes a lot of these issues. And so first, lack of sleep um, and definitely 
being out of regulation with circadian rhythms, that's one. All right. That's a big issue with what causes issues with cortisol. And remember when cortisol is super, super high, this is what's also going to relate to stress on the physiology, uh, anxiety, you know, overthinking, you know, constantly being in a state of stress, all of these things. Um, but what we also know, and this is especially important for our endurance athletes out there, um, and our cardio bunnies is doing high, uh, specifically high levels of cardiovascular training chronically can also increase cortisol levels, especially if you're at a state of being in a caloric deficit, if you're the individual who's trying to lose weight. Uh, but you know, just as much as I do, when you're prepping for a show, you're pretty much going against everything the body wants to do. Um, <laughs> um, but for my individuals out there who are, who are, you know, not specifically bodybuilding athletes, but are just people who are trying to get healthier, doing chronic amounts of cardio in, in a unhealthy way is just as detrimental for the body. Um, and so the ways that we can help get on top of this is a few things. Destiny, go ahead. I was going to, I just want to jump in and add that a lot of uh, people I'll see with these health issues and these stress issues are really drawn towards these group fitness classes. And yes. I am super anti group fitness class because of the metabolic stress it places on your body. Um, and it's often these really um, high achieving competitive individuals that are susceptible to being high stress as it is that like to add in the addition of these classes. And they, I've seen them just wreck metabolisms and yeah. um, stress environments for so many different people. Low intensity, steady state cardio is my personal uh, go-to for pretty much any client that's not in a prep setting. So I, I love that you brought that up. And before, you know, everyone comes after destiny with pitchforks and axes and burning her at the stake, she's not talking about this as group exercise is bad. Group exercise is not bad. It depends upon what your goals are currently and what you're trying to achieve. And so, and if you're someone, because group exercise is fantastic for group cohesion and helping individuals improve adherence to getting involved in physical activity. I am 100% on board for group exercise from that perspective. And it is a lot of fun. And when you are already in good shape and everything else, and you can maintain after you've already achieved your fitness goals, and you want to go ham on a whole bunch of group exercise, everything else that you're doing, fantastic. But when you're in a state of saying, I want to lose weight and improve my body composition, I'm overweight, I need to do these things... Group exercise can for sure be a good starting point, but I, I'm with you on this. It doesn't have a enough stimulus of what we need to actually improve our metabolism, especially when it comes from a perspective of building muscle. Right? Um, and it doesn't send a strong enough signal for that. But then doing incessant amounts of cardiovascular training only not only makes you more stressed out, especially if you're in a calorie deficit, um, but also makes you highly more efficient. And therefore, it's not going to have as strong an impact. Um, and I, I love that you said light cardio because light cardio gets a bad rap a lot of times in mainstream media when really when you listen to doctors like Peter Atia um, and and colleagues of his who focus on studying things like zone two cardiovascular training. This is the type of cardiovascular training that's steady state that's actually very beneficial for human health as it increases mitochondrial efficiency and the metabolic efficiency of muscle tissue, which that is absolutely vital. Like more people should be doing that type of steady state cardio because that's what really helps improve VO2 max and your ability to absorb more oxygen and help improve muscular health to be more resilient against a lot of the 
metabolic issues that occur as we start to age. And so that's it's it's an uphill battle because there's so many things to go back and forth. Exercise, do I not exercise? What do I do? There's so much conflicting information. It's like it's like we first to slow down, I think is the first thing that people need to do. <laughs> it's just first slow down and do one thing at a time. If depending upon what your specific circumstances are and what you're trying to achieve. Um, and so I really appreciate you bringing that up because that's something I get into a fight with with some clients sometimes. They're just like, our goal right now should not be to go ham on 18 uh, Orange Theory classes. Sorry, Orange Theory. You know, it's, it should be if you're obese right now and you have a poor metabolic profile, we need to build muscle. We need to get your metabolism up. Like we're, you're no state to lose weight right now. And if you're doing nothing but cardiovascular exercise and group exercise, you're only making yourself more efficient and making weight loss 10 times harder and making things worse. So it's, uh, it's so hard because you want people to exercise and feel good about themselves, especially when they're around other people. That's, that's amazing. That's why I love CrossFit for until, you know, that almost tore my rotator cuff apart um, because they don't assess <laughs> conversation for another day. Um, but we really got to look at the bigger picture and really do a better job as coaches educating when it might be useful to use certain things. And that's why it's so important to individualize. That's a whole nother topic we could talk about another time. So let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk. Yeah, I do that in class. So let, let, let's talk about cortisol, how we can get this down. So the first thing we can do, you got to get better sleep um, when it comes to keeping cortisol in check. You need to keep uh, regular with your circadian rhythms and your behaviors, getting light at the same time every day, especially first thing in the morning, going to bed and waking up at the same time every day. Stop drinking your coffee first thing in the morning and waiting an hour and a half actually is very beneficial to helping your cortisol levels go back to normal um, and actually having a healthy balance of cardio and resistance training. Um, and so, and I usually tell people if, if you're only doing one or the other, you're sacrificing health. It's like you should be doing a balance, all right? Um, because healthy muscle tissue is happy muscle tissue. Um, and you can get super, super strong, but if you're metabolically unhealthy um, and you have low mitochondrial efficiency, you're still not going to be able to utilize oxygen as well. Whereas if, if you have a balance, then you have muscles not only strong, but can also utilize oxygen appropriately and have more metabolic flexibility and get your body better at utilizing fat for energy so it doesn't have to go into its carbohydrate intake until you press into higher intensities of activity. Once again, a whole nother topic. Um, and then let's talk about supplementation because I know people are wondering about this too. Um, and ashwagandha does tend to be one of those awesome ways that you can help normalize uh, cortisol. I actually take ashwagandha when I go through those high periods, times of stress, um, and it works very, very well. And you know, just just to you know, tell people what ashwagandha is. It's literally the extract from a root of the ashwagandha plant. Um, but you have to make sure that you take it responsibly because if you, it's an adaptogen. It's not going to make a super large impact, but it can normalize your cortisol levels. Um, but as I learned from John Dobbs and from other individuals who specialize in that supplement, particularly just talking about the science of the supplement, you have to take a break from using it um, because you want to make sure that it stays normalized and it doesn't go the opposite direction. Um, and so when it comes to taking ashwagandha, I would, I think John was telling me, you know, no more than, you know, two to three months at a time before you cycle off of it, before you start taking it for another two to three months at a time, just to keep your healthy hormones in check and increase your sensitization of it actually working. And so, and that's when he's actually recommended going to the next thing, which is on my list as well as ro rhodiola rosea, uh, which does something very, very similar to, to helping keep cortisol normalized as well. Um, now, how this relates to anxiety 
<laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Name, how many people can you put on your hand? Uh, how many people complain of anxiety every single day? Uh, and I guarantee your whole hand will be up <laughs> as far as anxiety goes. Um, and so uh, how many people do you work with on a daily basis who complain to you, Destiny, about having anxiety? I, I, many of my w- women athletes that I work with definitely do. A lot of my guys, too. Uh, hell, I've struggled with it at times. Um, and once you figure out the baseline causes, you can really nip it in the bud. What has been your experience? Um, unfortunately, anxiety and depression are pretty common um, in my uh, athlete population. And I do think a lot of it kind of also goes back to those, uh, the stress hormones and the sex hormones and the birth control and just the dysregulation uh, that women are often exposed to throughout life. Because when your hormonal levels are off, um, they do create those um, feelings of depression and anxiety. And you can often have no idea why you're feeling this way, but it's 100% internal Um, and just comes from our different environmental factors, our stress factors, and our hormonal balances or imbalances. Exactly. And I just think our our lives in general today are just so conducive to stress, Um, especially when we're, I, I mean, I work in the college population. And so I work with college kids and college students are at that part of their lives where the stress is no different than that when they were in middle school and high school going through growing pains. And that's honestly one of the biggest things that I've learned as an adult is growing pains never stop. (laughs) It doesn't matter what age you are. And so, and when you look at a lot of these, you know, students that I work with, you know, they're, they're just bright young human beings that are just struggling with finding themselves, figuring out their paths, learning about what it is that they're trying to do with their lives. And, you know, that right there causes a whole lord of anxiety. So not, this is not only independent to the populations we work with who try to lose weight. This is this is this applies to everybody. Um, and when we see the negative impact that anxiety can have on people, it literally paralyzes them from being all that they could be. And all it, all it takes is just realizing that a, that they're normal, um, and that they just need to get a hold of their stress. You know, we live in this, you know, day and age where people are constantly, uh, connected to one another and yet lonelier than they've ever been, which I find absolutely crazy. Um, when it comes to, it should be the other way around, right? I can call my mom and dad in three seconds. I can text them. I can call my best friend. I haven't talked to since I was four and I haven't seen since I was 10. And yet we're more alone than we could ever be. Uh, and it, and it causes a lot of issues. And so we have to start working with individuals to who have struggles with anxiety because we know that anxiety from one thing to another is going to lead to depression, which is going to lead to higher rates of suicide, um, can all stem from a lot of the stress that, that we see happen with the human body. And so I think really just concentrating on stress management is so huge. Um, with the timing that we have left, I want to make sure that we dive a little bit into oral contraceptives before we leave, because we, we've talked a little bit about it here at the beginning. Um, but overall, just to help educate, especially our female population, and when we're focusing on women's health, just what the dangers are. Um, and from a lot of the research that I've done is not only anecdotal experience of hearing what Girls that I've known personally, including my significant other, my sisters, my mother, um, and friends that I've had about the effects that they've seen with oral contraceptives, it just sounds like a horror story, Destiny, um, as far as what it does. Uh, and it just, and the more and more science that comes out and the more that we know about it, it just seems it's just not worth it for the impact that it has on women's health, especially for those women whose goal in life, one of their goals in life is to have a family and, you know, not to knock, you know, badass women who want to be more career oriented and wait later in life to have kids. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not your daddy. I don't, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I, I want to make sure you, you live life the way you want to live it. Um, but you know, a lot of the issues that people will talk to me too is like, 
And this is something I actually listened to this this morning. Um, I was listening to Chris Williamson, who has his awesome, awesome podcast. Um, and he was on, he was a guest on my favorite podcast, uh, Mind Pump. And I love the Mind Pump guys. Um, and, and they were literally talking about how, and this is, this is a crazy statistic. Are you ready for this? About eight in 10 women who get to the age, uh, like over 30 to where eight, eight out of 10 women who, waited to have kids who wanted to have kids um, or, or don't have kids later in life. That's how they said it. Eight out of 10 women who later on in life don't have families wanted a family. And the biggest reasons why they weren't able to have one was either because it was too late um, in their fertility time window, or it was the fact that the oral contraception um, made it that much more difficult to where it, it just made it even worse and they weren't able to conceive. And they, they find that a lot of these women, eight out of 10, Destiny, eight out of 10, that's a lot of girls. Um, and they find that a lot of these women, they actually find going to support groups and grieving councils over something that never happened. And it's just heartbreaking. That, that, the, that women have to go through that. Um, and so, and why it's super important that if you're, if your goal in life is to have children, we need to consider these things right away and the benefits, that, not the benefits, the issues that it could potentially cause. Um, and so we, we know for sure that, you know, if you use contraceptives uh, for over 10 years or longer, um, which they call Olympic oral contraceptive use, um, that can lead to related issues with pregnancy, PCOS, premenopause in women, uh, and other related ovarian cancer issues because of the suppression of ovulation. Um, and it's just, that's a scary, scary thing. Um, and that's just, it, it, ah, especially because I know so many girls who have been on it all because they wanted to, you know, get rid of some acne when they were a kid, you know, now I know that they do put, um, women on oral contraception for the purpose of trying to reduce the risk of cancer oftentimes too. So I completely get that. Um, and I also want to just put out there that I'm nowhere near an expert in oral contraception use, um, or women's health. And I myself am still learning, but just from the information that I gather so far, it's just for, for, for some, if not a majority of cases, it's it's just, is the consequences worth it in the end? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I personally don't think so, but at the same time, we need to do a better job of educating our girls before they're getting on it because um, we're often not informed of what the consequences are at the end. It's just looked at as a Band-Aid um, to patch over these different ailments that we might have, and we don't actually look at the root issue or the long-term effects that can be uh, hormonal dysregulation, mood, bone density loss, the things that are sometimes irreversible because of the duration for which we stay on these birth control. So I think uh, knowledge is really power here. Yep. And a hundred percent agree. And I, because I'm still learning specifically in this area, I did take a, a, a few notes here that I do want to share as far as what seem to be some of the biggest concerns with oral contraceptive use. And so far what we see on a micronutrient end is oral contraceptives do deplete certain micronutrients. Um, they directly impact the microbiome in a negative way. Um, they increase inflammatory, to inflammatory tones. So we see increased levels of CRP, um, and creatine kinase we, of other inflammatory, uh, uh, interleukin-6. Um, they do affect thyroid function. And I know at Evolve, we do work with some individuals who do struggle with their thyroids. Um, it is associated with higher risk of autoimmune conditions and irritable bowel disorder, um, which is, I know, a lot of the things that we do talk about a lot within our community of Evolve and helping people with. Um, the biggest thing, and I've already said this once, is you know the 
the purpose, not the purpose, the issue with oral contraception raises sex hormone binding globulin. And when I'm, I'm familiar with this because I, you know, there was a time when I went through a significant amount of stress, got myself tested and I was super high in this as well. Cause this can also cause men, cause issues with men having free testosterone exposed because when sexual hormone binding globulin is bound to that sexual hormone, whether it's estrogen or testosterone, it can't act accordingly how it should in the body. And that can lead to things such as reduced sex drive uh, in, in both men and women, which can cause issues later on in life when it comes to relationships and just natural polarity balances between, between guys and girls and cats and dogs living together, you know, mass hysteria. And so a lot of these things we have to, we have to think about. And the thing that struck to me the most is the elevation in sex hormone binding globulin does not seem to go away after women stop the pill. And so we have to find even more types of, uh, how do I say this, holistic ways to help individuals overcome stress to be able to help certain areas of their lives, whether it comes to love, sex, relationships, getting their health right, and so on and so forth. And so um, I think it's just, it's a very interesting, interesting topic that I would love to learn more into because there's, there's a lot of people who need our help, especially as strength and conditioning and fitness and weight loss coaches um, who have these issues. Um, and it seems to be getting worse before it's getting better. So, Destiny, let's talk about some of the summarized practices we can take for women. We've, we've talked a lot about different aspects of women health. Uh, we've talked a lot about the potential issues with stress and particular genetic disorders that, that usually happen, the resistance to weight loss um, and the uh, <clears throat> not putting uh, enough uh, emphasis on stress management. What do you consider as some of the best practices for regular exercise? And so that's our first summarized practice for improving women's health. Regular exercise is number one. How do we balance that the best way? Um, I think just taking an assessment of um, where you're at within your week and something I really preach to my clients is auto-regulation. So a lot of people can be very stuck to, oh, if I didn't meet my plan this week, I fell off. But uh, realizing when you are stressed out and when you need to pull back uh, is going to be really, really important to this. So I think um, having a regular exercise routine is vital for nutrient metabolism, for mood, for energy, all of these things. And it's very important. I do not want to um, get away from the importance of it, but along with your regular exercise routine, um, having that check-in with yourself and saying, am, one, am I in a place today where I can actually go into the gym and make a difference in my physique? That's the point of your training session uh, oftentimes. And two, if I go into this uh, training session when I'm already stressed out, am I going to dig myself into a deeper stimulus hole that's going to then be harder to recover from? Is it going to make me stay up later at night so that my sleep is impacted? Is it going to change um, my appetite so that I'm not recovering well? All of these different factors need to be considered because it uh, does paint a whole picture uh, with your regular exercise routine and your stress response. Absolutely. And I would even add on to that and for a lot of the ladies out there that we coach for sure. Don't be afraid to lift those weights at all. Um, because I find that that's usually a major driving factor too. They're afraid to lift. I'm going to look like Arnold. No, you're not. <laughs> Good luck doing that. All right. You're going to 
and this is what I find with most of the girls that I finally get to lift, you actually get the body type and look that you are looking for and that you're working hard so far. Um, and so and that just drives me nuts because they think that they're going to blow up. <laughs> like, no, you're, you're giving your body enough of the stimulus to get the body type that you're looking for. Um, and so rather than a lot of unnecessary volume put into effortless, uh, effortless programs. Um, so that, so with the balance of cardiovascular exercise and optimizing health, particularly with mitochondrial uh, function. Um, so the next one I would definitely highlight is getting a balanced diet, you know, whole foods. Let's focus on getting mi micronutrients. If you're deficient, sure, use a supplement. But if you can get the whole food and really prioritize the importance of consuming whole foods, fruits, vegetables, things that are high in antioxidants, lean sources of protein, the least amount of processed food as you can possibly consume, things that are going to improve inflammation, high amounts of healthy fatty fish with poly and monounsaturated fats. Eat your salmon, okay? And if you really want to get a good healthy about a probiotics and get some fermented foods and eat that Greek yogurt, damn it, because Greek yogurt uh, and yogurt in general has such a high amount. Um, uh, and that's going to be really, really beneficial uh, for, for your overall microbiome. Um, Next that I would like to consider for sure, get your sleep. All right, got to get that sleep. Um, sleep is absolutely essential for every aspect of the human body, especially when it comes to uh, regulating hormones and cortisol. And when it comes to circadian rhythm science, because I, I, I promised that I would touch on this, is time-restricted eating and time-restricted time feeding could be absolutely beneficial for ladies out there who are trying to figure out ways to improve their symptoms from certain issues that they might have related to PCOS um, or endometriosis, um, because it can help regulate a lot of those insulin sensitivity-related issues in addition to things like digestion, uh, being, being overly anxious, not getting enough sleep, so on and so forth. So it can be a very, very powerful tool for so many different aspects of health. And we did have a whole episode on time restricted eating. So for those of you who are interested, please go back and listen to that one because um, that goes full into detail there. Um, but then I would also go into, you know, and I, I would love for Destiny to chime in with this as well, um, is if, there, if you've got a, a good medical reason for using oral contraceptives and your own personal choice and you've done the science and the math and you and you've Re and you've learned about it, I think, is the biggest thing. It's just to be cautious um, when it comes to utilizing oral contraceptives. What, what, what would you say in response to that, Destiny? I would say that an educated consumer is a responsible consumer. So um, get multiple opinions, uh, multiple sources of information, and really uh, make the decision for yourself. Don't let anyone um, step over your own bodily autonomy because at the end of the day, you have to live with you and the long-term consequences of those actions. So um, just really making sure that you are getting all of the information and knowledge about the long-term impacts and doing yourself the service of that. I 100% agree. And then the biggest thing that I would hear too is the definitely the education piece. Um, be someone who learns about these things, who can understand these things and how they might affect your health and just get regular checks. And this goes for men and women too, um, because I think the best key is awareness. And for a lot of people who have health related issues, who they, the first thing they, they never consider going to get checked or looking at uh, blood tests or looking at hormone levels or looking at the microbiome um, or even looking at gut related issues and those types of things. And I think that's super important to do, especially for women when it comes to gynecological exams and being aware of certain potential risks of ovarian cancers uh, and other various chronic issues. It's super important to make sure that you're in the know about your own body. And so, and that's, that's your own responsibility to making sure that you are educated on what's going on in you. Um, and it's never too early. 
Okay. I, I'm even starting to recommend to people in their 20s. Hey, you never know because it's your genetics play a huge role in a lot of these things. And if you would have tackled this 10 years earlier, you could have potentially helped at least improve your symptoms that might occur later on in life and catch these things before they become really, really, really specific issues. Miss Destiny, do you have any closing thoughts or takeaways that you would like to offer women in our community and around the world for how to tackle their health, how to tackle their health um, and how to live the best life possible when it comes to achieving their goals in life and fitness and health? Um, I think my biggest thing would just be um, stress reduction is going to be the best supplement for all of these ailments that we've listed. So um, whether that means setting yourself up better for success so that your day is scheduled out and you're not cramming to fit things in, or maybe it's removing unnecessary stimulus from your life, um, finding the way to balance that and um, remove unnecessary stressors from your life is going to have um, just so many different great benefits. And uh, having that downtime and that self-care is extremely important for overall mental and physical health. Thank you so much for that reminder because I almost forgot. Stress management is huge. And I promised that I would provide tools as far as how you could actually apply this. And Destiny is absolutely right. First thing, cut out things that are unnecessary. Um, finding ways to put yourself first. And that's the biggest... The biggest challenge I have with every single woman that I work with is they don't put themselves first and they have the most noblest reasons why. But if you don't do this, not only are you not going to be able to help others the best that you possibly can take care of your kids, your families and your own goals, but your health will suffer. And so really finding just that time to put yourself first to engage in a meditation practice or do some form of stillness that helps you get centered, whether it's journaling in the evenings or planning the day ahead, I find works for many people going for walks, doing grounding techniques, such as sitting on a hill, looking at a tree and pulling it apart by telling yourself what color the leaf is and what shape it is. You do that for 10 minutes. That form of grounding has a very, very therapeutic effect doing things like yoga Nidra. This is what I've been recommending to every single one of my athletes because yoga Nidra is just a guided body scan that just brings your attention outside of your head and gets you focusing on certain muscle groups like your fingers, your toes, and you'll literally pretend that you're putting a flashlight on every single part of your body in a guided fashion. And all of a sudden, it's been a half an hour and you completely forgot about the issue that was going on in your head. It's a super impactful form of yoga nidra that can help you with your sleep. If you're restless, it can help you with your stress later on during the day. They even found that it's as just as impactful as other forms of non-sleep deep rest that if you're or a go-getter, if you're someone who's a high powered CEO, Kayla, okay. And you're trying to do so many things at once. Okay. I, I can mess with her. I've done this to her before. Uh, <laughs> then, then you need to stay, take 10 minutes out of your day. If you do non-sleep deep rest, let's say you just had the first eight hours of your day, super stressed out. You just had a whole bunch of meetings and you still have a whole bunch of shit that you got to tackle. If you do something like non-sleep deep rest for 10 minutes, let's say around 3 p.m. and you know that you're going to have a long night till 10 p.m., this actually will restore you in ways that are more powerful than taking a 30-minute nap. And that will also go along the ways of reducing stress and can even mitigate a lot of the negative consequences that come from sleep deprivation. So non-sleep deep rest is super effective for my overachieving individuals out there who are working so hard, leading their own businesses, who I love and admire so much, but just take some time for yourself to do three to five minutes of breath work and or a 10 minute yoga nidra session. And that goes a long way. You all, it's about prioritizing your health and stress. 
three to five minutes of breath work, two to three times a day is all you need. The more that you do it, the better you will get with handling your stress and just eat better. Eat, sleep, and don't stop dreaming. You all, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast again, Destiny. I hope to have you again soon. Um, any closing thoughts before we shut out for the day? No, I think we delivered some really good value here. Thank you for having me on. Always. And we'll definitely have Destiny on again, y'all. We're going to try to get as many of the coaches as we can to chime in on the podcast. Have a, it's a little bit more fun when I'm not by myself sitting in a corner. Um, and so it's really, really great to have Destiny here. For all things Evolve and all questions that you might have for this episode, please don't hesitate to give us a shout out at any of our social media web pages on our Facebook groups or our Instagrams. We are here to help the world the best that we possibly can with everything to help make you the absolute best athlete you can ever be. Be Evolved. And we'll see you in the next one. Coach Chris is is out. Do you want to work with us and becoming the best version of yourself? Be sure to check our coaching application down in the bio to get more information about how to get the best in fitness and nutrition coaching from the Evolve Coaches. Be sure to check out all of our information and great content we put out every single day on our Instagram and our Facebook group. Be sure to check us out on EvolveHealthAndPerformance.com for more information and keep tuning in to the Evolved Athlete Podcast for the best in everything fitness, nutrition, and becoming the best version of yourself. We'll see you in the next one. Evolve Team out.